0: Uh, this morning, I'd like you to turn in your Bibles just really quickly to a verse that we're going to, uh, they call it, if you will, in the uh, vernacular that they use when they're talking about preaching, uh, a launch verse. It's not the main verse, but it's the verse that we're going to launch, and if you will, to get this thought process moving and uh, to get to this thought in our, in our hearts and our minds Uh, about what God's doing. And if you will, turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 1. 1 Corinthians chapter 1. And there's one thing that I know about God that he has shown throughout Scripture is God uses and loves to use little things. Things that are just don't make sense to man. Well, I've talked about it before. But, you know, here we are at this time of year, reflecting on the fact that Jesus Christ was made flesh, came here, dwelt among us, died on the cross for our sins, rose again on the third day, so that we would have eternal life and forgiveness of sins, a relationship with the Creator. God himself did that. He humbled himself in such a manner. And when you think about who God is, it's humbling to think who we are, and it's humbling to think how humble God is. When we ourselves, we often lift ourselves up with pride. We lift ourselves up with thinking about, uh, you know, how mighty we are, or how strong we are, or how great we are. But what God says here in 1 Corinthians chapter one and verse twenty-seven says, "But God hath chosen the foolish things of the world." to confound the wise things that just don't make sense god does things like that god uses these little things we've talked about it and i mentioned it last uh, last week talking about gideon it doesn't make a lot of sense that god would take 32000 plus men and drop it down to three hundred to take on an army that was at least a hundred times larger than the thirty two thousand amount. It doesn't make sense. It doesn't it doesn't compute, it doesn't calculate. But that's what God does. It says God has chosen the foolish things of the world to confound the wise and hath chosen the weak things of the world to confound the things which are mighty. And and, and when we think about that verse and we think about what God has done, we think about the little stuff that God did when he came. You know, people make a big deal about Christmas. Some people celebrate it, some people don't. Again, we've got liberty in that. But, but But I will say this, God records a lot about Jesus Christ's birth. He prophesied a lot about Jesus Christ's birth. So then, obviously, it must be pretty important to Jesus Christ. It must be important to God. So as we look at this and we think about this, I want us to keep that in mind. God likes using little things to do great things. God uses those little things to do something much, much, much bigger. And if we move into that thought process and think, here's Jesus Christ coming to this earth in human form, the word of God by whom all things were created, by whom all things consist, God himself comes as a little baby. If you were going to come and you were going to do something, you know, grand, if you were going to do something spectacular, there might be an announcement. There might be something that is expected. If it's some reason... You know, uh, uh, the, the president was to come and, and visit uh, this church or something of this nature, or visit this town, or visit this city, or something of that nature. People would probably make a big to-do about it, and they'd be like, "Oh, this person's coming," and "Oh, look at this," and they're going to do that, and oh, so on and so forth. And, and again, we just understand that uh, that that's a man; that's no big deal. It's a person that, yeah, they're an authority. Okay, and, and we, we 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 honor. But that's, you know, God didn't do that when Jesus Christ came. He came and he announced the the, the birth not to kings, not to priests, not to the hierarchy, not to the religious, uh, uh, if you will, but to simple shepherds that were doing their due diligence, keeping an eye on their flocks. That's who he came to. Those that were being faithful. Those that were being faithful. Turn over to the book of John, John chapter 7. I'm going to get into the main idea and the concept this morning. And and we sing about uh, that little town of Bethlehem. And there, there's a lot of doctrine in that statement, by the way. Little town of Bethlehem. Because that's what God called it. That's what God called it. And we're going to see some things here in in, in a minute. But, but, But this thought process that I want us to begin to understand is we know something about God that God likes to use little things. God likes to use weak things. Why do you think he chooses men and women to go and distribute the gospel? Why do you think he chose you to go do that? We're weak. We, we need to admit that. We're not great. We're not mighty. But I'll tell you this, God still chose you to go and do His will. But what we find here in, in, in this passage is we find Jesus Christ made a saying in verse uh, 37 and 38 that He says, if any man thirst, let him come unto me and drink. He that believeth on me, as the scripture hath said, out of his belly shall flow rivers of living water. This statement prompted some response from the people. You jump down to verse 40, and it says, Many of the people, therefore, when they heard this saying, said of a truth, this is the prophet with a capital P. Well, what is he talking about? He's talking about the prophet that was prophesied, Earlier, many thousands of years earlier. we will see that verse in just a second here. But this is what they said. In verse 41, it says, Others said, This is the Christ. But some said, Shall Christ come out of Galilee? Hath not the scripture said that Christ cometh out of the seed of David and out of the town of Bethlehem where David was? So there was a division among the people because of him. So here's what we find at this point in time, that Jesus Christ makes a statement. People begin to ponder this statement, meditate upon it. And all of a sudden, some different opinions and assumptions come out about Jesus Christ. This time of year, there's people that have a lot of assumptions about what took place at Christmas. People always assume there's three wise men. Nowhere in scripture does it say there was three wise men. It just says there was wise men that came. Everybody assumes that it's three wise men because of the three gifts, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. But it doesn't say anything else about the quantity of the individuals that showed up at all. It could have been two. It could have been 5,000. Who knows how many it is? God doesn't tell us. Doesn't really mean, we don't get to speculate on it, if you will. People just talk about it and so on and so forth. But the fact is, is a lot of people make some assumptions. They make some assumptions about that. But what we really truly see here is that not a lot of people realize who Jesus Christ really was. Some began to get an inkling, but because of assumptions, others did not believe. And I want to talk about this from the perspective of knowing scriptures and knowing Jesus Christ, who he is. We find in this passage where he talks about this uh, in uh, these individuals uh, in verse 42, the ones that were not believing, they knew the scripture, by the way. They were not believing Jesus Christ was Christ. They knew the scripture. Take a look, if you will, over at the book of Micah. Uh, Micah chapter 5. Now Micah, obviously, in the Old Testament, one of the uh, minor prophets And and what we find with the book of Micah is that there is a prophecy that is given. And if you can find the book of Jonah, you'll find Micah. Micah chapter 5 and in verse 2, it says this, But thou, Bethlehem Ephrathah, though thou be little, there's where that little town of Bethlehem comes from, among the thousands of Judah, yet out of thee, Shall he come forth unto me, that is to be ruler in Israel, whose goings forth have been from old, from everlasting? Well, who is this talking about? This is talking about Jesus Christ. This is talking about who Jesus Christ is. Goings have been forth from old, from everlasting. He is the eternal God just because he had flesh that was born doesn't mean that Jesus Christ uh didn't exist prior to that because Jesus Christ is God but he says that out of this little town Jesus Christ would come a town that really honestly is a suburb of Jerusalem it's only it's it's not even 6 7 miles away from Jerusalem itself it's just out there in these hills Not a not a real, if you will, uh, big spot for commerce or anything of that nature. Nowadays, all it is is a tourist site. Thousands of Christians flock there every year to go see the birthplace of Jesus Christ. And then you've got this cave set up where they think that that's where he was born in. And I'm like, "Um, okay. (laughs) But regardless... This little town that's nothing. Very small. Just kind of, if you will, a a small stop along the way. It's like one of those towns in eastern Oregon when you're driving through. If you blink too long, you'll miss it. I mean, there's one time I remember driving through over that area, and we drove through a town of Joseph, Oregon. Anybody been to Joseph, Oregon? Yeah, you blink too long you're through it. You're gone. It's a small little town. It may have grown since I've seen it last, but it probably still pretty small. Probably still pretty small. And that's kind of what Bethlehem was. It wasn't Jerusalem. It wasn't Samaria. It wasn't one of these big cities that had a lot of pomp and circumstance about it. It was something that was small. But these individuals knew that God was going to use something small, but they were still expecting something else. They had an assumption who they thought Jesus Christ was. They thought Jesus Christ was born in Galilee. You realize there's people still today that argue that? There's people here, people today on the face of the earth that believe because Mark doesn't go through a detailed account of Christ's birth that that obviously Jesus was born in Nazareth. They failed to divine the fact that Jesus Christ is portrayed as a servant in the book of Mark. You don't go through a lineage of a servant. You don't go through that because that's not important about what the servant is doing. It's important for a king. It's important to establish his fleshly line. So we find it in Matthew and we find it in Luke, but we don't find it in Mark. So people make an assumption and they say, well, because it also wasn't detailed in the book of John. You know, some of the accounts might be suspect. Well, of course, it's not going to be in the book of John because the book of John portrays Jesus Christ as God. God has always been. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. There's the story, if you will. That's who he is. But there's a big difference between just what people assume about Scripture and what they assume about Jesus Christ and what they know from Scripture, and what they know about Jesus Christ. Many times people will make the wrong assumptions in life. They'll make decisions based off of something that they think is true, but really isn't. You know, some some of these individuals could not possibly see Jesus Christ as the Messiah. They couldn't see that. Because they didn't view him in such a light. They figured there was going to be more surrounding him. There would be more hype. There would be more, uh, um, if you will, of a glorious entry. Because the scripture talks about that. The scripture talks about Jesus Christ coming in power and might and glory and all of these things. But that's the second coming. When he shows up with flame of fire... When he shows up, if you will, to take what is rightfully his, to take that throne. And they all figure that that is what they would have expected to see their king and their messiah come. But very humbly, he comes this way. And it threw everyone off, and it just, some people couldn't even believe that. While some others, they believed the the, the, the scripture to be true, they, they just, they remained skeptical about who Jesus Christ was because of the lack of knowledge of who he is. I mean, honestly, there's Jesus Christ. Why, if there was a, if there was a question about where he came from, why wouldn't they go up to him and say, where were you born? Why didn't they not seek that answer? They were just content to assume. They were just content to believe what they want to believe. That's kind of the way the world is today. Just to believe the way that we want to believe whether it's right or whether it's wrong, whether it's based in fact or whether it's based off the Internet, whether it's based off of truth or whether it's based off of a lie, people are going to believe whatever they want to believe. And people struggle with that. People struggle with that. Because what we're supposed to believe is supposed to be truth. It's supposed to be substantiated by fact and by evidence. But people... They had what they thought they knew about Jesus Christ. you know again, many assumed that he was from Galilee. Why do you think that all of that stuff was documented? To this day, many a Jew does not believe that Jesus Christ was born in in, in Bethlehem they, they, they believe he was born in Nazareth or he was born in Galilee. They, they don't believe the account of the New Testament. But it was written down for a reason, to show the fulfillment of prophecy. How God would take something so small and do something so great with it. That we would come in such small form and humility and do something great with it. Tudor, to did the book of Deuteronomy, talking about that prophecy, and again, to just point this out in prophecy in Deuteronomy chapter 18, here's Moses uh, uh, talking with the nation of Israel as they were getting ready to go in the promised land. Uh, Bethlehem does exist because that's where Rachel was buried. But in Deuteronomy chapter 18, we find Moses being a prophet himself prophesying of another prophet that was to come. And in verse uh, um, verse 15, it says, in Deuteronomy 18, the Lord thy God will raise up unto thee a prophet, P, from the midst of thee, of thy brethren, like unto me, unto him ye shall hearken. Now this is something, again, he's saying you're going to listen to Jesus Christ. Now again, this prophecy has not quite yet been fulfilled because I will tell you this, the nation of Israel is not listening to Jesus Christ at all. But what we find is that Moses prophesies that at one point in time, they will. Remember when John the Baptist showed up, they began to question him. They asked him, are you that prophet with a capital P? And he's like, no, no. Because he knew exactly who that prophet is. It's Jesus Christ. People will try to say, well, no, they're talking about uh, 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 Elijah or they're talking about Isaiah or they're talking about some other prophet or something of that nature. No, they're talking about Jesus Christ. Because the one thing to understand about Jesus Christ is he is all-encompassing. He is a prophet, priest, and king, all three of those together. God called certain men to just be priests. God called certain men just to be prophets. The order of Melchizedek is a priestly king, but he wasn't prophetic necessarily. But he was a type of Jesus Christ. All of these things that we see throughout scripture really point to who he is. But here again in back in John chapter 7, we find individuals that maybe know these scriptures No Micah, no (laughs) what he's talking about here in Deuteronomy, but they don't know Jesus Christ. And I want to say that is a shame today that there would be people that know what the word of God says, but do not have that relationship with Jesus Christ the way that they should. And I find it today that many people do that. Many people think God is a vending machine. Many people think God as some sort of reciprocity God. If I do this for him, then I'm going to get this blessing. Many people have the wrong, uh, if you will, concept about who God is. People today, as I said, in people that claim to be Christians, and I say claim because they're not really Christians if they believe this, Claim to be Christians believe that Jesus Christ sinned here on earth. Well over 50% of the Christians that were surveyed asked and asked the question, do you believe that Jesus Christ sinned on earth? Well over 50% of them, 67%, said yes. That's a problem. Because if Jesus Christ sinned, he couldn't die for my sins. He was perfect. He was pure. And again, thinking about this for a moment. Have you ever wondered about how many people have actually existed on the face of the earth? Let's think about this for a moment. Before the flood, how many people were around? Well, people were living into their 900s. So let's say you started off late in life and you started a family at 100. And let's say that your childbearing years, let's just limit it to 500. Could you imagine the family reunions? Could you imagine family showing up? (laughs) I don't know who's cooking for that one. I'm not. That is bring your own food type stuff. You show up, you bring your own fatted calf, you cook it, okay? Maybe I'll try to sample it as I work my way through the 5,000 grandchildren or something like that. Could you imagine this? Okay, we think about today we have over 8 billion people on the face of the earth. How many people existed before the flood? How many people are you driving around consuming their bodies in your car. Right. That's why you need an electric car. <laughs> Never mind. <laughs> but you understand what I'm saying is, is, is you look at that, uh, that concept of how many billions of people have existed on the face of the earth. Let's just, just, just take a number. I mean, again, just a complete total wild guess and just say that there's been on the face of the earth 20 billion people. 25 billion people. That's a lot of sin, but God uses one man, little, to do something big. He uses the flesh of that man to pay for all the sins of billions. Something small, God does something big and great. And people again, you know, their, their mindset is, is they're expecting something big and they're expecting something great and they're assuming all of these things without really truly knowing who God is. Over in the book of Matthew, in, in, in chapter 2, when it's going through the account of, 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 uh, uh of, uh, Christ's birth, it says, uh, that, uh, um, uh, the, uh, um, Turn there to Matthew, Matthew chapter 2, where, uh, they're approaching Herod, and again, there's a question that is asked, and Herod's getting a little concerned about this new king showing up, thinking he's gonna lose his position. Uh, he's, he's, he's kinda sweating bullets at this point. And in, in this passage, in, uh, in, in chapter 2, um, we, we see that these, uh, these uh, wise men show up and these wise men show up. And in verse five, um, as you know, Herod calls over the chief priests and the scribes. Um, and he asks them, he says, he demanded of them where Christ should be born. And they said unto him in Bethlehem of Judea, you know what? They knew their Bible. They knew scripture. He it says there for thus it is written by the prophet As thou, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, art not thou least among the princes of Judah? For out of thee shall come a governor that shall rule my people Israel. Here they are, if you will, quoting this, going back to Micah chapter 5, going back to the prophecies, and they're saying, yeah, yeah, we know it's going to be out of Bethlehem. It's going to be out of Bethlehem. It's going to be out of Bethlehem. Not in Jerusalem, not anywhere else. But notice how he says, Bethlehem, what does he say? Least among the princes of Judah. And all the region of Judah, of all the tribe of Judah, is the smallest. Smallest town. Smallest group. God uses it to do something spectacular. Something wonderful. Something that man is just confounded by. The priests, were they were aware of this prophecy, but you know what they were not aware of? They were not aware of Jesus Christ. They were not aware that he was already born. The shepherds were. But the priests weren't the scribes weren't you'd think at that point in time that if if they're wanting the kingdom and they're wanting a messiah that they would be you know constantly you know being excited and, and waiting for any news about anybody being born you know any, any boy over there being born in bethlehem they they'd be excited about that. The only people who got excited were people that weren't even Jewish. They were from the East. You know, isn't it amazing how God does that? How God points that out? Here's the Jew that has been given so much that doesn't really care a thing about Jesus Christ. But here's a couple of, you know, a few Gentiles that come and they go, we want to see the king. These aren't Jews. These are Gentiles that show up desiring to worship the Messiah. That makes you think when they begin to understand that these Jews, they knew a lot about Scripture, they knew a lot about those things, but they had no real relationship with God at all. And it's never, if you will, this is like this intellectual ascent. That means they just they know, but they fail to really truly receive. You know, the Bible talks about that. What does it say over in the book of Proverbs, chapter three? Turn to Proverbs chapter three. Take a look at this just momentarily. Proverbs chapter three, if you will, our intellectual assent. God cautions us. In Proverbs chapter three. In verse 5, what does it say? It says, trust in the Lord with all thine heart. But look at that next phrase. That's the intellectual assent. That's where we think we know something. That's where we think and we assume, but we really don't and lean not unto thine own understanding. And I find a lot of the religious people leaned under their own understanding. A lot of the people believed the Scriptures, but leaned under their own understanding of who Jesus Christ is. They didn't fully understand it. They didn't grasp the concept of what God was doing you know there's a passage over there in james chapter 5 uh, james chapter 2 and and we're we're studying that on wednesday night and we'll get into it in a little bit more detail but over in james chapter uh, uh, 2 and if you will turn there just briefly james chapter 2 there's a verse that i often point out because there are people who will say well yeah yeah i, I i've always known god or i i always believed in god and things like that you know what there's something about that you got to be careful what is it you believe about God? More importantly, what is it you believe about Jesus Christ? Because yeah. no man cometh unto the Father but by Him. In James chapter 2 verse, uh, verse 19 it says, thou believest that there is one God. Thou doest well. There are people that believe that there is only one God. And there, as He says, That's commendable. Good job. You know that there's a setup, right? And then James, I just love how, again, James is a little more straight to the point, again, being one of the sons of thunder. The devils also believe and tremble. it's usually those people that say, well, I've always believed in God. They're not willing to tremble before a righteous and a holy God when they're sinning. The devils will tremble before God. The devils do tremble before God. Why? Because they know who he is. They believe he is God. They believe Jesus Christ is God. But they are not saved. Nor will they ever be. Because hell was prepared for them. The Lake of Fire is prepared for them. that's where they go. God doesn't want us to go there. God doesn't want us to go to that that was prepared for the devil and his angels. He wants us to have an eternal life with him. He wants us to be with him. He loves his creation and wants his creation around him and and, and having a relationship with him and knowing him. Because he knows so much about us. But as we take a look at this here, it's very clear. They believe. But what is it we believe? You know, this time of year, a lot of people think about Jesus Christ. I dare say more people think about Jesus Christ during Christmas than they do around resurrection time. And that's sad. But there's one thing that's very true is that when we think about this time of year, who Jesus Christ is, God clearly paints the picture of exactly who he is. Go back over to Luke chapter 2. Last week we saw this in Luke chapter 2. I want to point out two things here. Luke chapter 2. In verse 11, the angels, or the angel says in, in verse 11, For unto you is born this day in the city of David a savior, which is Christ the Lord. I want you to look at that verse. And I want you to realize the impact of what the angel just said. For unto you. Now I want you to personalize it. Well, he's talking to shepherds. Yeah, I know, but you're reading it. And I want you to realize that you were included in this you. That you were included in this you just as much as the whosoever in John 3.16. Just as much as the any over there in Second Peter chapter 3, that any should perish. God's not willing that any should perish. And included in that word, but all should come to repentance. This you, I want you to understand this, unto you is born this day. People debate the, the day when Jesus Christ was actually born and so on and so forth and back and forth. It doesn't matter. There was a day when Jesus Christ was born. Right. Let's just start with that. And, and, and we understand who Jesus Christ is because the angel declared exactly who Jesus Christ is. And he said, For unto you is born this day something humble, something small, There's about ready to do something great in the city of David, little town of Bethlehem, a Savior. A Savior. There is only one universal need for all mankind in the world today, from yesterday, today, and tomorrow. And it's not food, it's not clean water, it's not the right to live, it's none of that. What it is, is man needs a Savior because of our sin. A lot of people assume Jesus Christ came to be a teacher, to be a prophet, to do good works, and to kind of show how people should live. No, 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 no. He came as the angel declared, as a Savior to save us from our own sins so that we don't have to die a second death, but that we can have a life eternal with Jesus Christ. That is the only need that man has. You don't need anything else. You just need Jesus. And he points this out right here, and he says, which is Christ the Lord. The angel just told everybody that Jesus Christ is the Lord, that he is God, that there is none other than him. If you jump down to verse 15 and it says, and it came to pass as the angels were gone away from them into heaven, the shepherds said one to another, let us go now even unto Bethlehem. You know what? The shepherds, they knew their Bible too. He said city of David. If I was to tell you, you need to go to the city of Ken, where would you go? How many of you know where I was born? You'd have to take a few hour drive over to the city of Boise. I just told you, St. Luke's Hospital, the old one, not the new one. Born December 3rd, okay? They knew what the city of David was. They knew their scripture. They knew their Bible, if you will. And what did they say? We need to go on to Bethlehem. And see this thing which has come to pass, which the Lord hath made known unto us. And I want us to think about this as we're getting ready to kind of head into a new year here very quickly. How much do you truly know who Jesus Christ is? In your life, are you growing in the knowledge of Him daily? Are you growing in your love and desire for the Savior, for, for the Lord, for the Comforter. You're like, well, that's the Holy Spirit. That's the other Comforter, as he says. He says he's going to send another Comforter. Well, who's the first one? Jesus Christ. It's not uncommon that the Holy Spirit and Jesus Christ have the same name. Just like it's not uncommon... To have Jesus Christ and the Father have the same name. Because over there in the book of Isaiah, He's called the Everlasting Father. So we begin to understand this concept the, the, that as we see this here, he, 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 here's 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 the Lord teaching us daily through scriptures, teaching us daily as we meditate and we think on it, as we study it out, all of these things. Why? So that we would grow in the knowledge of him and his will every single day so that we would have a no, I know Jesus. Not just a casual, yeah, I know but no, to truly know who it is. You know, there's one thing about gift giving this time of year. Sometimes people just give gifts just to give gifts, right? They just they just give whatever. You know, they 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 they, they go to uh, whatever store, they grab the first thing that they look at, throw some wrapping paper on it, and then give it to somebody. We've all gotten those type of gifts, right? You just look at it and go, what? That's why we have the re That's all I'm <laughs> going to say. <clears throat> but you know, isn't it amazing when uh there's that gift that comes along that somebody really knows you and just gets the right one? You know, when it comes time to think about the gift that God gave us, He knew just the right gift to give us. He knew exactly what we needed. And it wasn't new underwear and socks. It wasn't a fruitcake under the tree. You know what it was? It was Himself on the cross for our sins. And when we think about that, we need to ask ourselves, what do I believe about Jesus? The Bible says over in Romans chapter 10, it says, Whosoever calleth upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. But in verse 9, it talks about confession being made and belief in the heart. And the question is, is what do you believe about Jesus Christ? because in Acts chapter 16 when the Philippian jailer came in to, to Paul and Silas after they'd been released from their bonds said sirs what must I do to be saved what was Paul and Silas's response believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and I shall be saved it's that simple but look it's not just some intellectual assent it's not like yeah I know no, it's a belief with a heart that is passionate about it. And what I mean by that is this. You believe that you need a Savior because you believe your sins have condemned you to a devil's hell and you don't want to go there. But God, who is such a great, loving God, who does small little things in big ways for us, gave himself, humbled himself, came here, sacrificed himself on the cross for our sins, rose again on the third day. Do we believe that? Do we believe that? Is that something that we can say that's of a truth, that's of a fact, And if you think about it, it is so humble and it's so simple that God would take something as simple as a book to communicate to an entire world his love for them. So again, something very little that God does something very big with. These aren't just words on a page. This is truth. This isn't just a story. It's his story. It's the only story that really matters. So when we start talking about this whole concept of who Jesus Christ is, let's not be one of those quote, unquote, people that think they know their Bible and just believe or assume. Let's truly know our Savior. He came here to be known so that we would know Him. He wrote this so that He would reveal Himself and show Himself to a world that He loves, that He created that he died for, that he came little, small baby. And we think about this, just again, just to think about who he came to, shepherds. That's a little occupation, if you will. Not something that people would generally think is a huge, important thing. You know, they saw something small. The baby in a small city, Bethlehem, which would do some, which essentially, if you think about it, how many years did Jesus Christ have his ministry? Like three and a half years? That's a small amount of time. In 2025, in about two years or so here, actually about a year and a half, God's Word Baptist Church will have been around for 25 years. Under that name. 25 years. I sit down and think about how long I've been a pastor already. Yeah. I don't wonder where the white hair and the gray hair came from anymore. <laughs> he had three half years. He had a small ministry. I know pastors that have been, that have been pastoring for close to 50 years had a small ministry, but I tell you it made a huge impact on the world. God likes to use small little things, and I say all this to say this this morning: if you don't know him as your savior, you need to know him today. Don't wait. Christian, don't assume a lot about. Jesus Christ just because you think you know what the Bible says. Really, truly get to know Him. Make it personal. You want to know why young people walk away from the church? Because they never made it personal. They, they, they never took and, 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 and if you will, made Jesus Christ Their savior, their God, their Lord. They were either riding on the coattails of parents, just faking it to get through, whatever it may be. But let's not make that fatal mistake, Christian. Let's 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 not think we know about Jesus when we really don't. Let's truly get to know him. Let's stand for a word of prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, I thank you again for all that you've done for us. And Lord, as we think about this time of year and we think about what you've done for us and how you would come, Lord, I pray that our minds would be focused upon you, realizing with such little things you've done such great things. And Lord, with such love and such care, you would send yourself as a Savior. Lord, I pray that we just don't make this all about commercialism, about family, or about whatever else that the world makes this, but that we as believers, Lord, would truly make it about you. What you came here for your purpose. And Lord, I thank you so much for doing such great things. And how it really truly shows how great a God you are and how great your love is for us. Lord, may we never forget that. Pray, Lord, that as we close with a hymn of invitation, And as we sing glorious praise to you, that, Lord, it would be pleasing in your sight. It would be pleasing to your ears as we praise you for who you are. And I ask and pray this in your Son's name, Jesus Christ. Amen.